Hello everyone and welcome to a very special Enhanced Lethality edition of Romaniacs. We thought about doing the podcast in the nude, like Cambridge lecturer and anti-Brexit campaigner Dr Victoria Bateman, because that's helping. But instead, we've taken Defence Secretary and real-life Gareth from the office, Gavin Williamson at his word, and increased our mass so that we can project our global presence. I'm Dorian Linsky. Hello to everyone who made last week's Romaniacs Live such fun. You can get the recording on our Patreon page if you missed it. I'm joined by our regular panellists, the writer, broadcaster and expert in Brexit and digital disinformation, Nina Schick. Hi Nina, how are you? Good, good to be back. Did you enjoy Daniel Kuczynski MP blaming his big lie about Britain not getting anything from the Marshall Plan on Twitter's inadequate character limits? Oh, it's been so good watching him squirm. Uh, Of course, it was very amazing watching both Adam Bolton and Alexis Conrad call him out. I mean, he's particularly bad. So basically, if you can say you can tweet total lies and then go oh well no there wasn't any space there wasn't any space to add that that, 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 (laughs) I mean you could have just rectified it Um, he's obviously clutching at excuses he could have googled it and he didn't I think he believed his lie which is another indication of um, the utter incomprehension of Brexiteers well, that is the problem when, when people, it's the sort of, you know, the Trump problem is that sometimes Trump lies knowing that he's lying and sometimes he just doesn't know because he doesn't think it's important to reference reality at any point. And so you enter this this point where basically you just choose the reality you want and sometimes it aligns with the actual one and sometimes it doesn't. So he's not actually consciously lying. He's just like, I would like it if this was the case. Yeah, he's just an idiot, isn't he? And he's just uh, making, creating a story to suit his kind of cognitive biases. I mean, a simple Google would have space, shown. Space-based. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's this extreme ideological, you know, fanaticism that's developed mm. due to Brexit. And I, I, I genuinely don't think he knew that it was a lie. I genuinely think he believed it, which tells us something about the, the nature of the debate. Well, this is a special crossover team-up edition of the show. We're <laughs> delighted to welcome the team from the brilliant Cakewatch podcast, our brothers from another hosting platform, to the Romaniacs bunker. Cakewatch began as a plan to name and shame examples of flagrant Brexit fantasy, like Mr Kaczynski's, hence the name, and it's evolved into an excellent exploration of the whole Brexit mess with far more in-depth access than we've got because they do it from Brussels in Belgium. (laughs) (laughs) So it's hallowed self-designated Anglo-Swabian Eurocrat and maker of EU foreign policy and Spetzler, Chris Kendall, a.k.a. Autocrat on Twitter. Hi, Chris. Hi, I'm I'm here in a strictly personal capacity. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all? And welcome to musician, sound engineer, former UK negotiator in the EU and personal Brexit geek to friend of the show, Alan Smith, MEP, Steve Bullock, a.k.a. Guitar Moog on Twitter. Hi there. Welcome to Romania. It's Watch. Uh, it is like when the X-Men meet the Avengers. We start by fighting, but then team up against a greater force like Mephisto. I love doing bits like that. Anyone goes, oh yeah, right, no, yeah, yeah, I know we that. We know exactly. Yeah, 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 no. It was never mean. a fight. We just started, off, started as a very, very low-budget <laughs> rip-off of Romania. <laughs> <laughs> from Belgium <laughs> but from Belgium that's our USP yeah. absolutely uh, we've already had your regular guest Steve Analyst on the show all we need now is Dr Tanya Bultman and we've got the full set yeah. you should she, she's great yeah, yeah I know absolutely. I don't know why we haven't she's an outstanding well. swearer as well she'd oh. give, she give Dundee a run for her money she would run Ooh, for his money imagine yeah. that oh, that yeah. would be a proper blue clash the superheroes wouldn't it <laughs> We started this podcast out of desperation and rage. Obviously, you started yours just for fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the what was the uh, what was the impulse? What made you kind of like flip the switch on that first episode? So, um, so I'm a podcast listener, consumer of podcasts, and I had 
I, I woke up one morning thinking, oh, my, there's probably some Brexit podcasts out there that I should listen to. So I found you, and I found another one, a new European, um, and I became an avid and keen listener. But I would regularly hear things which made me think, you know what, uh, you guys, you're a bit too UK-based. You, you, you need you need that mm. insight. And do you know what? I could, I could probably do that. And, ooh, Steve could probably... Steve's got a recording studio. <laughs> Why don't we do it? So that, that, that's, that's where it came from. And you've just done a first birthday edition where you go back and listen to your first ever episode. Yeah. Uh, and you had a similar experience to when we did first birthday edition and listened to our first ever episode, which is that <laughs> all the things that you thought would be sorted out by now are not. Yeah. And actually that you could take, as in, I think you, you, you sort of proved this, that you could actually take things that you'd said a year ago and they would be still applicable today. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, it gave me the sense that we'd just been repeating ourselves <laughs> every week so. for, the, for, the, for the last year, and there was, there was nothing new to, to say about it, you know. Because, obviously, on, uh, you know, the day after the referendum, uh, yeah, Remainers are obviously like, this is a terrible idea, mm. this will go badly. Mm. Um, but as I think you said on that episode, it's like, nobody really predicted quite how badly and all the multifarious ways in which yeah. it would go badly. It, it makes us seem perhaps optimistic, Yes. Back in 2016. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that for me, and, and Steve will probably agree, I think the morning after the referendum, I mean, through, through our tears, literally in my case, um, I think we felt that, well, you know what, this is a very, very depressing and sad development, but um, somebody is going to grip this and um, somebody will be on the Eurostar, they'll be talking, they'll, they'll cook up a, a way of managing this so that it can be done in, in, in a reasonably um, civil way. Yeah, and you have you have sort of faith in the continuity of institutions. You know? That's certainly what Brussels expects. Yeah, you have faith in the in, in the continuity of institutions. You assume that the advice from the civil service yeah. will, will 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 kick in. You assume that options will be looked at properly, and so on, which is how decisions are sort of generally made generally made in government, uh, or they were before twenty sixteen, maybe aren't now. Um, so yeah, you assume that they'll come to some sort of reasonable thing. They'll look for con- look for some sort of consensus. They'll do cost benefit analyses. And so on, develop a strategy, uh, wait and wait until there's a plan to trigger Article 50, and so on. Um, but then, it, yeah, I mean, by the, a few months after, it was starting to go to go south. <laughs> by uh, November or December, it was starting to go south pretty quickly. Yeah. And wh- what are the most? Uh, who are the most egregious examples of, of cakeism? Oh well, um, I mean, the early heroes of cakeism, of course, <laughs> are led by Boris Johnson first and foremost. I mean, he was the ultimate cakeist, wasn't yeah. he? But, it, I mean, other than that, it were invidious to pick out any particular individual. I mean, they're all at it. They're, they're still at it. They're still... Th- well, Corbyn is another, I'm afraid, so I'm sorry to say, is another classic yeah. cakeist because he You'd keeps saying that sorry. he can have... <laughs> Things that have already been yeah. ruled out absolutely categorically, yeah. Yeah, well, we can, we can leave and still have all these things if only I were negotiating it. Well, no, and it, couldn't. And it, I mean, it, it affects all, all, all sides. I mean, it affects bits of Remain as well. Um, you know the whole idea that we can, you know, remain in the EU and reform it in the next year or two to uh, mm. to our liking, <laughs> or that the EU is going to give us an offer. You know, the EU is going to come with an offer of saying, "Okay, we'll do all the things that you apparently want us want us to do." Just to just keep- hold your nerve until the eleventh hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, it's a. Yeah. I, I I think it became a. It became more about. Ex- general British exceptionalism yes. than about cake yes, itself, it, yeah, I think, actually. Yeah, it did. And actually, yeah, and, and we, what we covered very early on in the first couple of episodes, um, we realised that we had both, Steve and I had both written in quite some detail about um, how we thought negotiations would go 
and then how negotiations ought to go in an ideal world and how Brussels expected negotiations to go because that's just how they normally go. And and as the podcast progressed and as time's gone on, you know, we, we keep referring back to that and those things that we wrote in the early days and just increasingly despairing at how far from... I mean, it's almost the precise opposite. And just gets worse. Yeah, every single point, it's been the wrong choice made. Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've enjoyed these... Um Led by donkeys posters, yeah, yeah. where they're kind of reprinting uh, tweets and claims made by Brexiters. Um, but I do wonder whether ex- exposing hypocrisy uh, and blatant contradiction and lies, how much that actually cuts through. That it's very gratifying to see, but we just don't. We do. We seem to be in a in an arena where. Those rules just don't apply, and nobody nobody sort of steps down because they're because uh, they're yeah. exposed as a hypocrite. I mean, I think that's a fair point, and I, I think that I, I don't know that we were setting out to use this exposure of hypocrisy to um, change the world. I think we just were just angry and we wanted to expose it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, what else? You do, do it do? anyway. Like you I love the to. fact those yeah. posters exist. It's just yeah. you'd also like to think that. You know, the, the, the once that was exposed, and you go, but hang on, this is what David Davis or Chris Grayling or Digby, yeah. the biggest dog in the world, said <laughs> in 2016. This is what they're saying now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe don't pay so much attention to them. But I think we need it for posterity as well. We need it for posterity to show that people weren't lying down and just taking this. The, the, the madness was collective, but it wasn't universal, that actually people were kicking back about this and mm. trying to do something. Um, you know, whatever, whatever happens. And I think that's important. And I, I don't know, I've, I've, I have a suspicion whatever happens that in a year or two years or five years, people who effectively know where the bo- bodies are buried, um, people are going to be coming back to, back to that. They'll, they'll be listening back to Kate Watch and Romaniacs and, as, and, as, and, as they prepare the indictments. Yeah, and, but on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and the, uh, and the articles that have, been, that have been written about it. I mean, these are to some degree sort of part of a historical record to show yeah. that we mm. tried, you know. Yeah. Chris and Steve will be with us throughout the show. But before we start, one of the reasons we like Kate Watch is it's the only podcast that can explain the EIG uh, by comparing them to free jazz. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for those... <laughs> For those that don't know, can you explain this analogy? This is about Chris's obsession with with rules and rules rules based systems, and it all goes back to a, a conversation he had with uh, who was it with uh, uh, the Telegraph Europe correspondent? Oh, well, with yeah. Bruno Waterfield. Yeah, yeah, where you know, well, who wants rules? Who wants sick of rules? You know, um, and it, it, yeah, it's rule having a fr- having a framework is what allows you to is what allows you to be free, and that you know that transfers to society. And this is yeah, this is why free form jazz. Um, freeform, freeform, atonal jazz is, you know, not very pleasant to listen to, for, except for the musicians that are playing it and very avid, very avid fans. Whereas, uh, you know, music with a little bit more structure is a little, is, a, is a, a lot easier to play and a lot easier to listen to and a lot easier to actually have meaningful expression through. Uh, I think was all. <laughs> that was that was where you you went with it, yeah. Um, whereas I sort of nodded off when you started talking about jazz and. Uh, <laughs> well, Chris tried to bring up something, something very cultured about Bach or of, of something like that. Oh, just but, like uh, rules. I thought it was more like more like blues, but. That's enough jazz for now, Ed. <laughs> We're going to dig into the news in a minute, which means everything from the latest on Jeremy Corbyn's non-compromise with Theresa May and the humiliation of Shadow Brexit Secretary Keir Starmer, whose People's Vote Clause mysteriously fell off Corbyn's letter. So the idea of a referendum after withdrawal bill has passed. Could that work? 
to Nigel Farage's new Brexit party, the ongoing bin fire that is Chris Grayling, and parliamentary action man with eagle eyes and realistic gripping hands, Gavin Williamson. <laughs> All after a quick reminder from Nina. Last week's Romaniacs Live in London with the brilliant David Snyder was a sellout show and a fantastic evening. If you're a Patreon backer already, you've had the recording. If not, it's time to give in to temptation and support Romaniacs on Patreon. You'll get our live podcasts, early bird access to tickets for our next shows, those sought-after Romaniacs coffee mugs and T-shirts with new designs coming soon. And if you're on the $5 a tier or upward, our brand new monthly Ask Romaniacs special podcast too, exclusive to Patreon backers. Just search Patreon Romaniacs or go to our Facebook page to find out how to sign up. And if you're a Patreon supporter on the $2 tier, you can get our famous executive upgrade. Just look under your memberships and select the $5 tier to get the deal that is better than no deal. Search Patreon Romaniacs or go to our Facebook page to find out more. Thanks, Nina. Okay, let's have a thick slice of news. First up, another great moment in Labour Brexit policy when it emerged that Keir Starmer's threat of a people's vote unless May agreed to the party's terms had fallen off Corbyn's letter to Theresa May. According to ITV's political editor Robert Peston, Starmer and the Leader's Office had agreed a draft saying that Labour would officially back a people's vote unless May agreed to terms including a customs union. But in the version that went to Theresa May, that threat had been removed. When Starmer called the Leader's Office, according to Peston, he was told they had forgotten to include it. I am told Starmer is not the happiest member of the front bench, to put it mildly, Peston wrote. May's response to the letter was curt. She rejected the customs union but gave the concession that workers' rights would be protected by allowing the Commons to vote every time they diverged from EU standards. Uh, which should happen anyway. Uh, so what is Labour's conference policy worth now? Because a couple of hours before uh, we came on air, apparently they're insisting that it's still conference policy to try for a general election and only then, yada, yada. But um, how many times are you allowed to try for a general election before you have to move on to the, ne- the next step? How much longer can they keep going, oh, this is the conference motion, everything's fine? Oh. It's in Labour's interest to obfuscate. And with the kind of letter that came out last week, what Corbyn was actually doing was stamping out any hope for a second referendum, much to the chagrin of many MPs in his party, right? Um, And I think the very cynical, calculated bet he made is that, first of all, he's actually putting out a position that, from the EU perspective, is somewhere you can start negotiating because you're essentially moving the Tory uh, party's red lines, even though there is cakeism within that. But he knows that the Tory front bench or Theresa May will never go for it because if you go into permanent customs union, then the Conservative Party will split. So both parties with some six weeks to go are playing party politics. Corbyn is kind of pretending like he's reaching out across the divide. But actually what he's doing is killing second referendum um, whilst not clarifying Labour's position any further. Very cynical. Um Kickwatch. Is this um, is this uh, Seamus Mill and, and Carrie Murphy again? Is it the kind of the, the Corbyn inner circle overruling both the Shadow Brexit Secretary and uh, the will of the members? Um, well, I mean, you, you're certainly asking the wrong person with me because I'm, I'm very much on the Brussels side of things and I'm simply not plugged into the Westminster thing. I mean, from, from my perspective, honestly, um, I look at what is going on in the Labour Party and I look at what's going on in the Tory party with the leadership and I'm, I just see the same thing and I'm, you're, you're, you're a big Orwell fan aren't you and mm. um, um, creatures look from man to pig and pig to man and, <laughs> and couldn't tell the difference I mean you really I, honestly they, they, both leaders 
look to see, look to be kicking the can down the road as far as they possibly can. And the, the impression I get is that they're playing a game of... Well, Nina will know what I'm talking about, Schwarzapeter. I, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that is. Um, but the, the, that, that, the card game where you don't want to be the one left holding the Queen of Spades. I think, that, I think there's, there's actually every chance that Corbyn will move to a second referendum position, but on you know like the 27th or 28th of March when there's no possibility whatsoever of it actually, of it actually, ha- of it actually happening. Um, I mean, his... Uh, I, the, I mean, the first thing I thought when I saw the letter was that this was the first step in a move towards voting voting for the withdrawal agreement, yeah. or at least mm. abstaining and looking the other way while mm. while uh, while Labour MPs abstained or, or, or voted for it, you know. But once you start looking at it, I mean, I spent a long time trying not to annoy Corbynistas, you know, uh, thinking it was it, it was pointless to have a go have a go at them, and uh, as many Remainers were, and I was thinking this is pointless. We need to bring people on board. We need to change mind. Once you start looking at it through the prism that Corbyn and the top leadership team and his advisers actively want Brexit and see it as an opportunity, then you know that chip that that. That changes the, the 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 view you have of it. But uh, everybody, but, but everyone who's sort of following, you know, uh, Labour internal politics knows that Seamus Mill and Carrie Murphy are anti, a sort of pro Brexit mm-hmm. and anti people's vote. So yeah. there's all this kind of talk about, well, we're just doing this, we're just doing that, and it, it's sort of as if nobody's noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. These yeah. kind that's of close exactly, advisors believe yeah, that. No, yeah. but that's exactly my reading of the situation. That by you know doing this, Labour has taken one step. You know, hammering the nail into the second vote or people's people's vote, second referendum idea. And I don't think that just as you know, some people might save their ire for the Conservative Party. You know, don't forget what Labour mm. is doing here. It wouldn't be happening. Don't though. forget what Labour is doing mm. here. And even more cynically, Labour is positioning itself as the party of Remain, right? So many voters who are Remain mm. voters who are so pissed off at the Tories because of their position on Brexit claim to be Labour supporters now. But Corbyn is leading them up the garden path, just like the Conservatives well, do. In another great uh, moment of listening to members, uh, the Labour MP Angela Smith turned up at Labour HQ with a petition for a second referendum, was turned away. ITV reported the MP waited for more than 10 minutes and then was asked by party staff to send them an email instead. That's a great look, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, That's brilliant. just yeah. fantastic optics. Um, and I, still have people on, I still have people on Twitter telling me to wait. I'm, I'm just, I still have people saying, no, wait, they're going to... No, it's, the, it's still I'm the long game. So, I still have I'm this. so it's sick of them. There is no long game. We know what Corbyn wants. The only long game, or the only question, is whether he could be pushed into doing something mm. that he and his mm. close advisers yeah, exactly. don't want. Yeah. Nobody thinks, nobody rational thinks that Corbyn is kind of secretly waiting to sort of thought no, Brexit. No, no, no. No. And, and shouldn't have thought that for a very long time, even without old clips of his Euroscepticism coming out. It's just... And and I don't think he wants a general election before we leave anyway. I think Mm. he wants to make sure we leave and then there'll be a general election, you know, because Mm. then you can blame the Conservatives for Brexit. Um, Whereas he can say, well, I had a principled position, you know, I supported permanent membership of the customs union, even Mm. though... One thing to remember as well is that, you know, if if you're going on the sort of disaster socialism uh, theory, you know that, he's, that it'll be it'll be disastrous, and he can capitalize, then capitalize on it being disastrous under somebody else's uh, leadership, under the Tory Tory's leadership. The if you look at it in those terms, the transition period is quite a big threat, actually, mm. because it's a standstill 
transition period and nothing re- nothing will really change for a, for a, for a couple of years and then if it's extended it's extended up to you know very close to the 20, 2022 election so uh once stalling in these terms then i get uh, i get very worried about what the actual objective is um there's pretty much no political idea that I respect less than Lexit. Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely deluded to think that you can kind of uh, launch a sort of radical socialist transformation on the back of a kind of right wing mm. uh, xenophobic project. It's the homeopathy of Brexit, mm. I think, Lexit. Mm. 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 Yeah. But, but from a kind of, uh, from your kind of knowledgeable uh, Brussels perspective, um, what would need to, what would need to happen? Is there a way that you think that however unlikely that that Lexit could work as hoped is <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I think to answer that question, you need to uh, we need we need to then define what it exactly what exactly is it that they hope for. I mean, they, they, they Lexit seems to mean different things to different people, and generally, it just seems to mean um, well, we don't like austerity and we don't like what um, Germany did to Greece. I'm using air quotes, uh, listeners. Yeah. Um, and therefore, we should leave the EU so that um, we can ditch austerity. But we all know that if you leave the EU, it is likely to result in the kind of economic damage that makes it simply unaffordable to ditch austerity. So, uh, no, I, no, the answer, short answer is no. <laughs> and on the state aid question, what... My, my feeling is always that there are many, many obstacles to kind of like mass... Uh, renationalisation before you hit those state aid rules. What can you do within? What can you do within state aid rules, and what can't you do? So, um, I'm going to slightly twist your question <laughs> and go after my pet typical topic, bureaucrat. Which, <laughs> typical, <laughs> typical. <laughs> because um, look, um, it is fair to say that in recent years, um, government at the European level has had a sort of slightly centre right flavour, hmm. um, and but that's because the centre right have been predominant in both national governments and also in the European Parliament. So, I mean, somebody like me, who is an out there federalist, and I'm now speaking very much from the per- <laughs> in, in a personal capacity, so my ideal, my, my dream would be to see a proper um, party political uh, contest at the European elections and to have a, a European Commission that represents a political platform that won the most votes at the European elections. Which mandate, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, you know, so if you wanted to ditch, say, for example, the kind of um, austerity politics that we have seen over the last decade, uh, you would you would elect a, a, a political platform that had that as, as their manifesto. Now, we're not quite there yet, but the way to get there isn't simply to dissolve the EU. It's not the it's not the architecture that's the problem. Yeah. It's the people who are in those posts um, that's the problem. I think that I think the, the thing with Lexford as well is that if you have a problem with the state aid rules, which do allow for a rather a lot. I mean, you know, go, we, it's a cliche to say go around Europe and travel on all of the nationalised mm. nationalised rail yeah. services. Um, but so there's a lot. You, there's a lot. An awful lot you can do. Um, but. The state aid rules are going to be there in a customs agreement. The state aid rules are going to be there in yes. level playing field agreements. They're going to be there in an in an FTA actually yeah. as well. Mm. So um, unless you're ta- if, unless you're talking about a no deal Brexit, mm. you're talking about level playing field state aid rules still having to still having to be adhered to. That's sort of eliminating the point. Or you're going for true disaster with a with a, a no deal Lexit, which I, I mean I think Fair even Lexiters are, are plus plus Lexit, Lexit and no dealers are few and far between. I think, but. Mm. <laughs> but I mean, that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's a logical. That's a logical bit, yeah. That is the logic of it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, but it would be like a fun. The fun thing, it's it's the fun, fun version. It's the nice version of No Deal, isn't it, Lexi? <laughs> Lexi, the nice. It's version. like Lexi. It's just like <laughs> it's like disaster, but nice. Yeah, with with uh, with samba rhythms. Remember, remember, <laughs> is that Venezuela? Remember as well that when we joined the when we joined the EU, we ha- I mean, I, I'm 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 a I'm a social democrat. I'm certainly not on the right, but um, when we joined the EU. We were ploughing money into British Leyland to try to get people to buy shit cars like the Austin Allegro uh, and failing. And I mean, this is actually one of the reasons that we, one of the reasons we joined the EU, because we'd driven ourselves to the, 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 the sick man of Europe through dreadful, dreadful centralised industrial policies. So, you know, um, you've, got to be careful what you, <laughs> you've got to be careful what you wish for as well. As Theresa May stuns the nation by saying she needs a bit more time, let's move on to yet more esoteric deep cut solutions to this mess. <laughs> with the idea that MPs could break the deadlock by voting for May's deal, whatever it is by the time we get to a vote, provided there's a guarantee of another referendum afterwards. Labour MPs Peter Kyle and Phil Wilson are pushing it. The idea would be incorporated into the withdrawal bill, and if the deal was rejected at the subsequent referendum, we'd stay in the EU. Yay! <laughs> but if it passed in that referendum, we'd leave without the legislation going back to the Commons. So it's a kind of do-or-die scenario. <clears throat> would that work? I, well, I called this. I wrote a thread about this in what, November. I mean, before the meaningful December, before the meaningful mm. vote. Um, I thought they should the the focus should have been and still should be an, an amendment to pass the withdrawal, to pass the meaningful vote, but with an amendment requiring exactly that and and to and to put it into law, um, so that the the result of the referendum is the this time actually is the decision, and that either the government has to revoke Article Fifty or um, on the on a yes yes result a ratify result then the the uh, it shall be considered to be ratified then you use the interim period to get all the rest of the legislation through ready to go and it comes into force if that if that happens i mean in the way that the uh, the the alternative vote uh, referendum automatically changed legislation mm. as a result of it um I, I don't i mean to be honest i haven't really seen any other way for it to to happen in that for a long enough extension for a referendum, the EU are going to need an assurance that no deal is off the table and that it's going to be definitive. And that's, to me, has always been the only way that that can really be done. Yeah, if you were the EU and you gave us an extension for a referendum <laughs> and no deal was an option and we voted no deal after that, yeah. I mean, they would be justified in just yeah, but invading. I'd rather have it now than six just or nine months more. Blue sky thinking, you see. <laughs> And Nina, a lot of uh, there's a lot of jitters around a second referendum, um, mm-hmm. and people that kind of obviously like the idea of reversing Brexit, but worry uh, a lot about uh, what this what the sort of campaign would be like. How do you think it would so it would play out? So theoretically, this scenario is possible, but I think if you measure up the political reality of where we are in the country. I just don't think by hook or by crook there is either going to be a second referendum or that there's going to be a revocation of Article 50. Now, that's not to say that it isn't my personal opinion that Remain would be the best choice for the UK in Europe. It's just my assessment of what the political reality is. So I honestly think that everything... So much of what we're hearing is white noise and the only kind of game in the town really is Theresa May's deal, which her strategy is run that down, you know, run that baby right down to the 11th <laughs> hour, um, or a no deal. And we might see an 11th hour extension of Article 50, and I would actually argue that 
an art extension of Article 50 is now absolutely necessary, yes. even if her deal passed tomorrow, because there's no way of getting the legislation through. But because I think it's important to be honest with our listeners, <laughs> I believe that the only two options that are realistically on the table are Theresa May's deal with some tinkering, some keyhole surgery around the withdrawal, with around the backstop, or, or no deal. So unfortunately... I have to say with a heavy heart that I just don't think it's politically realistic that there, there will be a second referendum or a revocation of Article 50. <laughs> well, I mean, I can, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can imagine I can imagine being in a situation either either in March or at the end of a short extension where an emergency revocation, uh, where there's uh, so much pressure for an emergency revocation. I mean, we talk about looking over the cliff and see the, seeing the rocks and you know, we've all underestimated how long it'll take to do that. We thought people would see it in the autumn. We thought people would see it in the winter. Maybe it actually takes us to be within a week or two. Um, so I can, ima- I can imagine a, pan- a sort of panic-stricken, you know, the PM waking up in the morning panic-stricken and going, shit, we're actually go- we're going to have to revoke it. It's proper no deal. Uh, we're going to have to revoke it. But as usual, I think the whole thing kind of comes down to, and this is a horrible situation we find ourselves in, it comes down to the psychology of Theresa May and us trying to pick the psychology. Mm. I and mean, if she really is wedded to the deal and she wants it she she wants to be the pm that leaves the leaves the eu and she wants to be the pm that got the deal that we leave on and that was her primary thing then actually uh, a move, a pivot to a referendum makes a lot of sense because she's basically got a 50-50 chance of that happening whereas she may have a a zero chance of, of that happening at a certain point. But, I mean, I, pro- I agree with you, the psychology probably doesn't point in that way and she actually probably would take a thought. Yeah, the and I think it's also just some beyond mm. Theresa May herself. You know, I've worked for many years since 2013 with um, a lot of the faction which are now Brexiteers, um, uh, Conservative MPs, you know, who've now become hard Brexiteers. Mm. So look at how the debate has shifted from mm. 2016 yeah. where this will be the easiest trade deal in the world where there's so many advantages to reap to now where rationing would be a good thing for this country and we can withstand (laughs) the pain of a no-deal exit. And I think those emotions cannot be underestimated. And I just don't think the status quo ante is on the table. I just think the country has changed. So my calculus is that if the choice was between a revocation of Article 50 v. no-deal, then it would be a no-deal. But do you think it's actually only a very small number of MPs that, that, that want that, though? I what, mean, the very true loud. believers for yeah, but there's, there's, 70, I mean, there's, 80? Seven, yeah, there's 70 or 80, but there's, uh, that makes you know, uh, more than 500 who very specifically don't want no deal. Yes, but then the question is that would, would the MPs who favoured Remain go for um, Theresa May's deal instead? Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So, but, so in a scenario where... Um, it's it's just getting to the point where it's either no deal or Theresa May's deal. Can could Labour there could Labour support Theresa May's mm. deal? Yeah, and not be yeah hammered think- for it because obviously that's still better than no deal. It just seems like mm. they even so how sort of cunning they are and keeping all the kind of you know options open. But it seems like they basically they, they get to the point where either they let no deal happen and therefore get partly blamed for it, or they help make Brexit happen. Yeah, which I, they'll get partly blamed for. 
I think ultimately, sorry. sorry, I think ultimately that's how the deal will get through yeah. because there'll be kind of tacit approval by Jeremy Corbyn to allow his MPs to vote for the it's deal. Gonna be, the next election is going to be grim. Because yeah. he, he, remember, if, if what we've said about him is, if our interpretation of him thus far is right, he wants the UK to leave and then have a general election. So he can get the deal over the line or, you know, tacitly tell his MPs to support the deal because he actually doesn't want a no deal Brexit either. And then he can go and focus on to building his. Well, maybe he does. But, you know, blame it on the Tories, get that done, and then concentrate on building the socialist utopia. I can see some marginals where he's going to have a lot of fun <laughs> convincing, <laughs> uh, you know, particularly like student towns or whatever, convincing but, Remainers who delivered those constituencies in 2017 to vote for him again, having enabled Brexit. Where do those voters no, go? go? Exactly. I, w- go? I would count myself as one of those. So w- if you're facing a general election where it's... Um, Boris Johnson, who I think has you know a, a good chance of becoming the next Conservative leader, he's so popular amongst the grassroots, versus Corbyn, who are you going to vote for? Like that's my question to yeah. all my friends. I mean, I mean we, yeah, exactly. We, we have a fundamental problem here with the, uh, with, the with, with the political system, which is that, yeah. that, that they rely on the fact that most people simply don't have a, a, an alternative except voting for one of the two. And if both, and, that, and this is why we got ourselves into such a terrible situation where we've been told that eighty percent of the people voted for Brexit yeah. in the mm-hmm. last election, yeah. you know, which is not also don't underestimate the power of abstention, yeah, as well. Yeah. And yeah. they've got form on this as well. Yeah. <sighs> and now the return of our quick fire news round because uh, Brexit's producing more news than we can consume. Firstly, Nigel Farage's new Brexit party. Um, how is this any different from uh, UKIP? Well, it's not racist, apparently. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure Nigel would know. He'd, ne- he'd never stray across that line. Um, it feels this- like one of those restaurants that's, that, that's open just for tax purposes. You know, it's, it's open, open just, just to slush some money into to get rid of some excess tax, and then it, then it closes six months later, you know? It's very it's irritating. I mean, every time Nigel Farage you know, lift, lifts a leg and squeaks out a new party, you know, everybody has a fit of the vapours. But every time anybody talks about a new... Um, Realignment at the centre represents oh, the vast majority. Work. It'll never work. work. First past the post yeah. means it can't work. It's, yeah. it's very frustrating. It is. I mean, what constituency is there for a Brexit party that isn't UKIP? We've already got two. Yeah. I know. How many yeah, Brexit parties do you need? <laughs> Labour and the Conservatives. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a burning platform as long as um, the Conservative Party and the Labour Party are backing Brexit. But I mean, his his pitch will be that they're not. Or that they haven't done or it they're properly. Not, they're or not doing real the Brexit that people ask for. And you yeah. do see plenty of people walking around high streets with little leave means leave placards, and you're seeing these posters pop up. So I guess those people are out there. Yeah, and I don't know what proportion of the population have that vociferous kind of you know sentiment that leave means leave and let's leave now and we don't need a deal. But uh, what's certainly true is that just like communism, uh, Nigel Farage was going to cl- always. This is inevitable that he was always going to claim that you know when Brexit didn't materialize in the way that it was meant to, it's because it wasn't implemented properly. So there will be enough of a demographic that he can capitalize on, you know, those those extreme feelings of aggravation. And sometimes when you do meet these people and, you know, they're protesting around Parliament all the time, it is quite astonishing, you know, just how vociferous they are, you know, how much they hate the EU. Um, it's quite alarming. Well, what's so puzzling, I suppose, about Brexit Fundamentalism. You compared it there to, for example, you know, the kind of what well, is sort of no, no true communist. It goes, well, you know, Soviet Union wasn't real communist, so we haven't tried it yet. But that's sort of based on, uh, obviously, the interpretation of the writings of Marx and going, okay, we 
you know we haven't we haven't got there yet in the same way that uh, Christians fundamentalist Christians will go well you know we they turn to the Bible but there's no text for Brexit they just keep making it up as they go yeah. along yeah. So, said, so it's just like said last week. yeah it's just like this isn't what Brexit means it's like well what do you mean what you said Brexit meant in 2016 or what you've just decided yesterday yeah. that Brexit means so it's kind of a fundamentalism based on a moving it's the coffee table text. book that will be coming out presumably this Christmas if they have any sense of the, the collective posters of Led by Donkeys that's their, <laughs> that's their base text. <laughs> that's their desk capital. <laughs> but it's good with everything. You have this with arguments as well. You have you, you have a GAT article, uh, GAT article twenty four. Everyone shouts about this for a couple of weeks. It's just, it's it's shown to be, it's shown to be bullshit. Then they just move on to then they just move on to the next one. Which, whatever the whatever the the, the latest it's one. Break, break, break clause. Yeah, yeah. Now it's break now it's break clause in international. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they'll that'll be for a week or two, and then it'll be the next one. And they don't care. They don't care whether it's true or not. It makes no difference whatsoever. It's uh, uh, it's just a it's just a vehicle, you know. Incidentally, that's what the kind of ERG and you know super vehement anti-EU side of the Conservative Party has been doing for years. Yep. They're constantly <laughs> moving the goalposts. Yeah. They're doing it now with the backstop. Don't forget the backstop is actually a huge concession to what the yeah. UK's <laughs> own yeah. negotiating yeah. red lines are. Nobody's talking about leaving the single market now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Easiest trade deal in history. Yeah. Struck over tea. Uh, so, talking of vehicles, uh, onto ferries, a seaborne freight loses its contract to run non existent ferries out of Ramsgate. Uh, it's a dead end world for Ostend boy Chris Grayling, who pronounced himself baffled by criticism of the £14 million imaginary boat deal and then claimed no public money had been spent, even though 800 grand had gone on consultants. What does Grayling have to do to get sacked? <laughs> <laughs> Can anything stop his reign of incompetence? He can't. He's a living dead cat. He's perfect. Yeah. You know, just w- w- however badly May is screwing up, uh, there's Chris Crailing being a dead cat being thrown on the table. Yeah. No, it's a perfect May distraction table. Oh, she's there as her, as he's there as her foil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not as bad as Grayling. Yeah, you can sacked, always say that. To, you know? yeah. to, get sacked, he'd, to get sacked, he'd need to start succeeding, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. He should really start freaking them out yeah. if he's just like getting stuff done. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, he's dangerous. There's a great story in the Standard yesterday, I think. I just saw on Twitter that uh, uh, Grayling had had shouted at a couple of people at a football match that he thought were he thought was sitting in his seat, and he got very angry with them, and then had to, had to tell explain to him patiently two or three times that uh, his seats were actually further up. Uh, and as, as clearly <laughs> numbered, further, further up the aisle and very clearly numbered. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think this really just shows the total incompetence that he would obviously naturally assume that someone else had got it wrong, even though everyone else in the UK in that situation would naturally assume that it was Chris Grayling who well, got it wrong. There's an episode of The Simpsons where there's a TV <laughs> programme with a cop called Homer Simpson and Homer's really delighted, but then they decide, and he's a very cool character, and then after the first couple of episodes, they decide to remake the show as a comedy, and Homer Simpson is now this bungling fool <laughs> who keeps getting everything wrong, and his catchphrase is, oh SpaghettiOs! <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's Chris Grayling is stuck in a real life <laughs> sitcom version of himself and he just needs a catchphrase yeah what do you mean there's no fairies grayling <laughs> oh spaghettios uh, yeah no speaking as a Chris I can know this <laughs> did you know I, I uh, true fact his birthday is the 1st of April <laughs> It's just—it's too—it's too—it's too, too, too good, man. There's too many jokes. To make. <laughs> what a, what a sublime comic character! 
well, Gavin Williamson has got a plan to convert ferries into Royal Marines assault boats. Two weeks ago, he said he'd convert naval warships into ferries. Now he wants to convert them back. <laughs> he wants to keep swapping boats around. Nina, what, what's going on in the head of Gavin Williamson? Yeah, you know, what is he smoking? Um, no, this is, I mean, it's ridiculous as Defence Secretary um, when he came out and said, you know, Brexit would be a chance for the UK to kind of step up in the world and, uh, you know, have, sail... Uh, ferries or its new aircraft carrying to the South China Seas, you know, where it'd be like shot down by the Chinese immediately. But um, the only explanation I have for this is that he wants to be Conservative Party leader. And if you want to be Conservative Party leader, you got to amp up the rhetoric and talk utter, utter nonsense. And that's clearly what he's doing, because if you look at it from a defense and security aspect... Um, not only is Brexit severely damaging to the UK's defence and security uh, status in the world. I mean, I work with the former NATO Secretary General. It's (laughs) very damaging. It isn't making us better. But also, the world is evolving in new and very scary ways. So while he has his, you know, ferries that he can sail into the South China Sea, uh, what are we doing about cyber? What are we doing about autonomous weapons? Nada. And it's, it's... it's a shame that this guy is our defense secretary. You know, the, the guy that said Putin should just shut up and go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's like they made 10-year-old me defense secretary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just, you know, let's transform the ferries into transformers. Yeah. Yeah, no. Robots in disguise. <laughs> doom, doom, doom. There's, it, it's, there's just something, um, yes, again, pathetic. comical in a but different it, direction. It, it, he, he is, if you like, the epitome of... of um, English exceptionalism, of, of this mad exceptionalism, this lack of self-awareness, this lack of a, a point of reference in the, in the world. Um, I mean, he, he said in the same breath that the uh, he was looking to make the UK's armed forces more lethal, wasn't it? More lethalism. <laughs> and at the lethality, same time, lethalism. lethality. Enhance the UK's lethality, while at the same time he called on EU member states to block any move towards an EU army. As, as if, you know, firstly, as if they're going to listen to Gavin Williamson after what he just said. But secondly, this sort of arrogant, delusional nonsense is exactly why... There is now more and more talk in EU circles of an EU army. Um, the, the EU is now talking very seriously about what, what we call strategic autonomy because of what's going on in the world. You, you can't avoid it. You have to. Juncker, uh, in, in his State of the Union um, speech this, this year, talked about European sovereignty. All of these things that, of course, <laughs> weren't really on the table during the whole of the Brexit referendum discussion, despite people saying that they were, now are on the table, no, ironically, right. partly because of Brexit. <laughs> yeah. mm. But of course we have to. We ha- you know, the, the EU has to do this, otherwise it will face increasing uh, threats. And if we don't do this, we would be you know, utterly remiss in defence of our values and our, our citizens. But there's also, I mean, this is, I, so much of Brexit is a, uh, is a wet dream. Of, of you know little boys feeling tingly at the thought of spitfires <laughs> and and rocket launchers and interventions and refusing to refusing to accept that what this actually means is hundreds of people dead on battlefields and lives ruined and instability and so on you know it's 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 really about people who 
there's an, a large element that is about people who who feel who feel small, who failed politically often. Ian Duncan Smith and so on, you know, feeling big and feeling like the big man and feeling like they're 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 getting getting something back. And it's I mean, it's just absolutely pathetic. It's little boys with toys there, but it's a whole country they're <laughs> playing with. So. Regular listeners will know we're in a constant struggle against the bleakness of the Brexit story. So we've come up with an Alan Partridge-like gambit to keep it light with a big question for the panel each week. This week's question is which country should be obliged to leave the EU at the same time as us? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> for, any light, reason, for any reason that you, that you want. <laughs> they're, not, they're not actually going to do it. You're safe. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can't possibly treat that um, question with the levity you, you would like because, um, uh, look, uh, very much not wearing my official hat. I know, I'm sorry to keep banging on about this because I'm going to get in such trouble for what I'm about this to say. This is not a legally binding light question. Well, I mean, it has to be hungry, obviously. <laughs> I was going to say hungry. Yeah, right? I was going to say hungry. That's what that's yeah. what we deserve. Yeah, because yeah. if we've got you know if we've got Copenhagen criteria, they're there for a reason. These are the criteria of democracy and values and, and so on that, that, that countries have to fulfil before they can be considered for EU membership. And if a, a, an actual member begins to consistently uh, flout those you know flout those values and, and, and fall off those criteria, then you know there need to be some kind of consequences. We should have to be stuck with the autocratic racists. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, you're right, they should go, but also we should be punished by having to constantly hang out with them. <laughs> yeah. oh. with, with my SNP hat on, of course, uh, there is one country being being forced to leave the, leave the EU at the same time as, as the rest of the UK against its will, which is, which is Scotland. Um, I know, I think, maybe, I think maybe Spain, just for, for giggles. For giggles. <laughs> Why? Ooh. So random. For giggles, so, 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 that, so that both countries' foreign policy, for both countries' foreign policy could become absolutely all enveloped by G- the Gibraltar question. Mm. That could be the, the, basically no the only the thing Spanish we talk bag. about. Yeah, the yeah. only thing we talk about for the next 10 years could, could be Gibraltar. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Bullock and Chris Kendall of Cake Watch are our special guests. Um, and you'll be able to answer this one. What are they saying in the moulet frites joints of Brussels? <laughs> I mean, have, have, they, have they got to the kind of just go already stage? I mean, how much goodwill have we managed to piss away? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Most of it. All of it, yeah. No, I mean... It, in, so, as I mentioned earlier, the mood the morning after the referendum was really bleak. It was it was very bleak, and there were tears. Um, and um, but fairly quickly, things moved on, and um, people got on with their lives and got on with their jobs. And it looked as if sort of the serious danger was past because we had a couple of other um, elections in Austria and Italy where people thought, okay. This is a flash in the pan. The domino fell the wrong way. Mm, <laughs> the rest mm. of the dominoes are standing. And for the last sort of two years, outside the little bubble of, of Brits in Brussels, who, of course, are utterly consumed by this, um, you know, I would often have colleagues who work, you know, right in the middle of, of, of all of this kind of stuff. They're coming up and saying, oh, what, what, what happened to Brexit? Where, where, where are things with that? <laughs> now, that's changed over the last mm. few weeks as we, as, as, we, as we move towards the Brexit date. Um, 
And increasingly, you're getting coverage of, of what's been happening in Parliament, for example, a lot of coverage of what's been happening in Parliament. So John Burko, of course, is now a, a big star uh, across Europe. People now show yeah. order. order. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? no, Everybody loves doing that. Yeah, right? Literally in meetings, it's, it's quite funny. Order! Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> That was That's very good. so good. <laughs> they actually do it in meetings, do they? No, no, I was I knew they did in coffee cube. I didn't know they did it. I, I won't say which meeting it was, but let me tell you, it was quite a senior meeting. And um, <laughs> the person chairing that meeting, uh, at the beginning of the beginning of the meeting, whenever we were chatting on their phones, uh, as they always do, said, order! And everybody <laughs> fell about laughing. And this was not a Brit. This was an Italian, actually. Mm-hmm. So, yes, so that, that's, that's, put, that's punctured the public um, consciousness in Brussels. But, no, I mean, I think, you know, we, we've heard some very interesting things the last couple of weeks from, from Donald Tusk, from, from Sabina Vyand, um, now speaking out publicly. Yeah. And you, you very much get the sense um, that... Um, Fuck Brussels. Brussels. Yeah, <laughs> Donald Tusk. Will you just fucking get, get a move on and do this? Because we're absolutely fucking sick of this and we've got stuff to be doing. So let's say, because Swore. hope springs eternal, that we manage to uh, somehow find a way to not leave the European Union. Um, how much making up to <laughs> would we have to do? Presumably it would not be Theresa May doing the making up. So you've got a new, new Prime Minister of some description. Um, Boris. The second telegraph column. You know, he probably... I'm not... Yeah, yeah, okay, no, the the vision falls apart here with the idea of Boris Johnson trying to build bridges. (laughs) Um, But, like, how how far... You know, even if we manage to stay in, how far back have we been set? The idea that we would just go, right, okay, now we're staying in, you're going to need to... To no. give us this, that, and the other. Purely delusional. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but the the lead not leave um, argument is, I'm afraid, um, very, very unrealistic. Yeah. Um, I think that um, you know, if 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 we hit the revoke button, we would go back in exactly as we were prior to the referendum, with all the same perks and the same sweet sweet deal that we we have. Uh, legally, yeah. Legally, yeah. But politically, um, politically. Um, yeah, there's a mountain to climb, and I think we're quite a long way from the mountain. So I mean, we we need to travel to the base camp and then start climbing before we. There you go, yeah. ne- Nepal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course the sad thing is is that despite you know this what has now con- become conventional wisdom that the UK had no influence in the EU. It, I mean, it was nonsense. The UK, totally. if you buy into the lead not leave argument, that should have been done before the referendum, not now. I mean, it had an extraordinary amount of influence and had the UK stayed in, um, you know, the future of the European Union could be looking very different, but it's too late for that now. No, I think you need need to have uh, a period of uh, a few years uh, a few years of, of shutting the fuck up and just shame and taking it and, yeah. just, and just sit in the corner and look, but also actually looking looking for op- looking for opportunities for uh, for for cooperation for support for supporting uh, for supporting different member states visions and 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 so on. I mean, it would need some diplomacy. Which, to be fair, UK diplomats at working level have been have been doing all along. I mean, yeah. most people don't realise that that you know. UCREP people have still been going to working groups and still been making mm. interventions and and so on, um, and you know trying to keep the yeah. trying trying to keep relationships alive for wh- whatever happens afterwards. The difference is is that now when they make interventions, the reply from everybody is, "I do you think that? Do you? Well, good. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's, let's move I, th- on. I think I think um, the UK needs political reform. That's not Brussels speaking. 
uh, we all know that it needs political reform. If political reform were to happen, um, and we got a, a, a sensible government in place, and there are plenty of sensible politicians in both parties who could form mm. a fantastic mm. government, I think things could very quickly change. But it just seems very unrealistic at this moment, given given the way that both parties are and given the way our political system is. As yeah. Nina says, I mean, the, the shame about the current lead, not leave campaign uh, is, is that it's so exceptionalist and it's 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 again selling a selling selling a un, selling a unicorn. Um, but in fact, as exactly as Nina said, this this should have been the line. We are leading, <laughs> we are leading, not leaving, and we were leading, and we can again. And even even now, I mean, we 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 can again. Things move fast. Events happen. Russia invades places, you know, and uh, and we 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 certainly could again. But it would require this this interim period. And we should we should be honest with people about that. It's really unreasonable yeah. not to be. Honest. The, the slogan I like is "Remain and reform, but reform us, not them." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> No one wants to reform themselves. <laughs> um, on the last Cake Watch, you talked about Brexit in the context of mental health, that this raw majoritarianism split Britain into winners and losers, and that's sort of bad for the mental health of the, the sort of self-styled winners and the losers. Um, and I think it, this is something that sort of kind of bumbles up in, in our show sometimes. Uh, various, one of us will perhaps have had a particularly sort of rough w- week mm. with this mm. with this stuff. Do you think that this is kind of, and you actually said that this wasn't something that was talked about that much. You get so much into sort of policy and what's happening in Parliament, and actually this kind of the psychological impact that it's having on people is is really not spoken about enough. And you, you had a really good reaction when it was brought up. Mm, yeah, we did. Yeah, mm. I, part of it is part of it is a symptom of symptom of the thing itself. I mean. When, when you categorise a loser and a whinger and a, and a Ramona, you want to then write a lot about how, you, how you're not coping and, you know, it feels like what a loser you are and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, people are, people, are ext- people are extremely, extremely worried about it because, and I mean, I work with a, a group called Final Safe Role, which from the beginning has been about trying to get personal stories out because... What we realised quite early on, uh, well, Nikki, who, who started it, uh, realised quite early on, is that if you tell people personal stories about how you're affected, even if they're leavers, even if they're uh, really quite right-wing, they tend to say, oh, well, I never... I mean, I, I didn't really want that to happen. You know, I didn't actually want you and your husband to end up being separated or... Um, you know, because on the whole, people aren't really horrible, you know? Um, it's just it's amplified a certain section and a certain set of, atti- certain set of attitudes. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, but the enormous. What we found is in these personal stories, the enormous numbers of people who, in you know, what might seem a small way to an outsider, has something which is creating very, very, very deep, deep anxiety. Be it you know, children at university who are going to, who are going to, who are, go, who are going to study abroad, or uh, a friend with a business that exports, or you know, I mean, it's the 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 how connect how connected. And I think people are only realizing how connected people's lives were their own lives were to, to, to EU membership. So anxiety is very deep, and it, and, and it, it covers lots of different things. It covers these individual things that affect you or affect your friends or affect your family. But there's also this sort of you know, existential dread about what this means for the, you know, the future of Western Europe, the future of European stability, the future of mm-hmm. uh, the sort of international order, uh, what kind of world you know, your children are going to find uh, in 10 or 15 years. But there's all these different, like you said, there's that kind of that deep anxiety. There's also just the anxiety of not knowing what's going yeah, on. Yeah, uncertainty. Absolutely, there's also yeah. kind of this kind of bullshit and gaslighting that you see. Like I went on Twitter this morning and just ended up getting so mm-hmm. impotently cross 
because there was just all this stuff mm. flying in. And even you and you know you can just and you can actually see that some people, you know, there's definitely tweets that I've deleted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple. Of, I was just like, do you know what? I was just letting yeah. this kind of rage get on top of me. Absolutely. And there's certain kind of people on the on the remain side where you just think. You know that tweet's coming from quite a dark place, yeah. and try and show some sort of empathy. So when they're being held up, it's like, well, look what these people are saying. It's yeah. like I don't know, man. I'm not. I don't think that's actually a. You know, when people like snap at kind of leavers, I hope leavers do lose their jobs. Yeah. That's not actually the voice of Remain. No, no. I think it's just but people are people hurting. lash out. Yeah, and trying not ways. to do that takes its toll as well. It does. Mm. You know? And I mean, we we spoke at the top about why we started the podcast, but actually, what we should have said is I mean, the main reason is simply a coping mechanism. I mean, yeah, certainly for yeah. me, this is a, it's it's a much healthier um, coping mechanism than Twitter, frankly. Yeah, Twitter. Oh, yeah, right. Re- I don't think anything's a better coping mechanism than Twitter. <laughs> well, I mean, that's where we're coming from, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we're realising that that's very unhealthy. Several million satisfied customers. Um, but something else you talked about is how how sort of Brexit has has radicalised. You kind of had quite an interesting sort of disagreement about this as well. I think um, about where this engine might go. It's about how Brexit has radicalised millions of people, mm. and there's certainly. People are more passionate about Europe and more knowledgeable about Europe on the whole than, of course, they were before the referendum. A lot of people that you talk to now, um, including a lot of the guests on the show, didn't give it that much thought. And now they're kind of really passionate. We get that energy at the live shows as well. Um, And the question that sort of comes up is, well, where does that go? Yeah. Because there's a movement. There's 700,000 people marching for a people's vote. If you don't get a people's vote... Um, I think a lot of those people are just going, well, what what do I do next? So what what's the sort of positive scenario of uh, of the sort of the legacy of this whole process and, and this sort of really a mass sort of political awakening? Well, it seems to me that there are three directions it can go, assuming we leave. Uh, and, and, the, and the first is sinking into apathy um, and, and, and dismay and discontent. And the second is into rejoin, rejoining as soon as possible. And the third is into, well, you know what, our system is broken, we need to reform our system. And, I mean, I would hope that it, it, it focuses on the last two, but especially the last one, because I think there's not much point in putting all our effort into rejoining until we reform our system here. There's so much that needs reform in the UK, and all of that energy could be very usefully pointed in that direction. I think so many, so many of us have woken up to the manifest failings of our democracy mm. which is a good thing you know it's a good thing that we've all woken up to that but when then we need to do something about it. but i suppose in america you look, look you look to america and they go well they've been woken up by trump mm. so what do you do you elect a democrat you get rid of trump there's a, there's a very <laughs> yeah. obvious yeah. route to, to to put all that well i think political parties are going to have a, a job on the hands to deal mm. with mm. what you know that a large portion of essentially a relatively politically docile population um, have now who thought that there was nothing they could do to change anything have now shown that they that they that they can you know I mean we've said this before you know a year ago people were laughed at for talking about uh, people thought the idea of stopping Brexit now you know and these are now mainstream things that are explained on the BBC website and and so on and it, whatever happens it's created a it's created a movement and it's it's made and it's definitely forced people to listen to it and now you have all these people who can who can put that activism into other things I mean put it into uh, mental health advocacy put it into anti-poverty stuff put it into um, so there's the there's really the and this is something that the parties are going to have to have to deal with because these are not party activists. Um, so the old 
maybe parties aren't going to get away with the same stuff. And there's also, you know, the idea of calling out, of fact-checking, um, of, calling out, of calling out bullshit, mm. um, which is a sort of automatic reflex now, whereas mm. the, the automatic reflex for, you know, most most people in 2014 was that oh if it's in if it's in a uh, if it's in a, a a quality a quality newspaper on the BBC it's probably true so this is gonna, I mean this, politics is going to have to deal with this and I don't think it realize I don't think politics realizes that I, it's going to have to deal with yeah it. I think individuals will have to find the thing that matters to most to them where yeah. they might be sort of fighting for kind of immigration and against yeah. kind of xenophobic policies or uh, climate change issues or like you said sort of media monitoring. I suppose there isn't going to be one vessel for all of that energy. Yeah. Well, there's. I think there's a much bigger macro issue at stake here. And I would say that Brexit is, you know, a tiny iteration of that. And I would say, you know, the very kind of political system which we have come to take for granted, that being the kind of liberal democratic model going with free and open markets, which has literally given us the period of peace and prosperity best known in human history, is coming under severe pressure. And people seem to believe that this is a natural state of affairs to live in a political system like this, and it isn't. It's a historical anomaly. So that's why I would say it's very important to be important to uh, honest with people who want to people's vote now because they identify with these kind of values. Because if that doesn't happen, and I, I think it won't happen. I think we'll leave. There is a much bigger fight on our hands here, which it goes beyond the UK. It goes beyond mm-hmm. Europe, and actually, it spreads out globally. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think Brexit will, will in, historically, Brexit will look like a proxy for something else. The end of the show is coming up, and the Brexit time capsule is calling from its lead-lined silo. Chris and Steve, uh, you both get to contribute something to our cache of things that we'll miss or need if Brexit goes ahead. <laughs> Um, you, know, well, you know what, I, I've listened to your show for so long and often asked myself, what would I, if I went on Maniacs? <laughs> it's like Desire it's never of Discs, isn't it? But if I did, if yeah, I won the lottery, never. what would I... And, you know, I had real... St- I struggled with this. But I think it's respect, honestly. I think it's um, my personal respect for UK institutions is, has taken a real beating. Um, I think our, collectively our respect for each other, our, our political opponents, uh, respecting difference of opinion... Um, and, you know, EU respect for the UK has taken a real hammering. So, I mean, all of this we miss. What I won't miss is the lack of respect that you get from UKIP MEPs in the European Parliament. <laughs> oh, my God, we'll be so happy to be shot. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a send-off. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, tempted, I'm, I'm tempted to say, but it's kind of stealing it from Nina, I'm tempted to say liberal democracy is the thing that I'll miss, but uh, that's maybe too bleak. Uh, I think the thing I'll miss is being cool. Um, is, uh, <laughs> You'll always me, be cool. Not me personally, but be, but 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 the UK being cool. I mean, I think people really don't realise what an yeah. incredibly successful brand and bit of soft power it was. I remember being in a, at Atlanta Airport and the person we were visiting picking us up in a Union Jack roofed mini, you know, and everybody just stopped and stopped, everybody outside the airport just stopped and stared as she careered around the corner in the, in this. Italian job star mini, you know, and just how unbelievably cool it was. Um, if you if you if you put a gig on in Brussels, uh, they tend to put the nationality of the the people in the band. Mm. If you put UK or US, people come. People just come because it's cool. That's where the cool music comes from. That's where the cool stuff comes from. And this is just gone. <laughs> For our closing foreign language clip, we asked for some Klingon and we damn well got some Klingon. We didn't ask Chris Grayling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he'd have given us. Here is listener Volker Tanger boldly going where a maniac has never gone before with some actual Klingon and the short parable it comes from. Koch, wuf, bet, shush. 
Kochwuffe die Rudz. Je siege was nom je view. The wind does not respect the fool. Reality does not respect the fool. So be smart, decide fast. A storm was heading for a city. Everyone stayed inside except for one man who said that he was not afraid of the wind and wanted it to respect him. After the storm they found his dead body outside. As Kalish said, the wind does not respect a fool. Please do not be that fool. Reality does not respect the fool. <laughs> wow. I am so impressed. So <laughs> If you're fluent in a European language, send us a short, vaguely clean recording at info at and we'll use the best ones. And that's the end of the show. Steve and Chris from Cakewatch, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. It was a dream come true. Bucket, <laughs> bucket list <laughs> Absolutely, tick. yeah. Listeners, do subscribe. It's a good listen. Uh, where can they do that? Um, uh, so a very easy URL. It's Cakewatch, uh, but you put the full stop between the T and the CH. Cakewatch. Ah, mm. yes. Which I thought was a bit that, too EEA rather than EU. Yeah, everybody thinks it's a Swiss website. Why have you got a Swiss website? Yeah. All right, okay. I overthought it a bit. <laughs> Just search for Cakewatch in iTunes or on the internet. Oh, the internet. I knew. That's where I left it. Thanks to Nina and producer Sophie Black. Until next week, here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop, and a salute to some of our supporters on Patreon for me, Nina, and our new best friends from Cakewatch. Hello and thank you in Schwabish. <laughs> Chris can do the Schwabish. Andy Kahn, Ben Proctor, Carl Jones, Michael Watt, Martin Greenaway, and Santa, whoever that might be. And many thanks from me to Mike Barnes, Bean Noodler, excellent if that's a real name, Kirsty Cox, wow, Jim Duncan, Neil Riddick, and Sarah Korn. That's two coins in one show. Kuchenschau uh, Schwäbisch greetings to Duncan McCready, Tom, Rob Anderson, Paddy Patterson, Mary Ion, and Lucy Keating. And thanks for me to Chris Ryan, Nicholas, Lucy Barker, Lynette Ralph, Paul Thompson, Greg Harris, and Duncan McCready. Thanks to all. We'll see you next week. Romaniacs was presented by Dorian Linsky with Nina Schick. The producer is Andrew Harrison, and audio production was by me, Sophie Black. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. Thank you.